Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everybody, congratulations on not killing yourself And welcome to The Voices in Our Heads I'm Christina Marie Hutchinson I'm so honored to be the current voice in your head. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Um, It's Thanksgiving week. Good luck, motherfuckers. I don't talk to my parents anymore, so I can do whatever I want. I gotta say, it's pretty cool. Not saying you should cut off your parents. But if they're emotionally or physically abusive, consider it. Um, But yeah, it's uh, not talking to... I say my family, but I am talking to my brother um, because I love my brother. Uh, It's it it feels like uh, when you first move away to college, if you live if you live in the dorms and it's your first experience living outside your home and you're like, oh, my God, mom and dad aren't here. I could do whatever I want. That's how I feel now. It's awesome. Oh, it's awesome. And then when people talk about, oh, I got to do Thanksgiving, it's going to be stressful. I'm like, not me, bitch, not me, bitch. But I'll read an article later on in the episode that will talk about ways to handle Thanksgiving with your family. Cause I know the majority of people are not cut off from their family and that's awesome. And I'm so happy for you. Did you grow up with loving, nurturing parents? Wow. You must be hella scarred by life now because people don't act that way here. Um, yeah, that's gotta be a jarring realization. So I hope, uh, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. We'll get to tips a little later. I would like to recommend a movie. God, I love going to the movies. I, that, First of all, I went to the movies. Colin and I went to the movies. We saw uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Whew. It is three and a half hours. And normally I'm like, no movie should ever be that long. What the fuck? That's rude. However, I got to say, this movie was fantastic. And I'll go into why I think that. But um, there's in New York City, there's usually there's a sense of urgency, especially in the service industry. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And I realize when I go any anywhere else, truly anywhere else, there's not that same sense of urgency. And so I get spoiled and a little cranky and I have to remind myself that I live in a very special town. Um, but boy, the movie theaters, much like theme parks, are ran by 15-year-olds. And we were in line. We were almost, we were, the movie started at 7 and we got there at like 6.58. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. We don't need to see the previews. I'll just watch them. Usually I'm like, I love seeing the previews. And initially I was like, but we're not going to see the previews. And then I realized I could just look up movie trailers at home. It's fine. Um, so we were in line to get, of course, popcorn because I love popcorn. And uh, Colin had ordered a hot dog. And the woman, the girl, the young teenage girl uh, was like confused when he ordered a hot dog. Maybe people don't usually order hot dogs at AMC theaters, which you shouldn't. Uh, But, you know, hot dogs are great. Not good for you, but damn, they're delicious. So he got a hot dog. She was like weird about it. We were like, what the fuck? And it took like 15 minutes to get this one hot dog. It was so funny. And then we kept asking like where we kept waiting and we were like, we were worried we were going to miss the movie. And they saw us waiting by the side of the line. And we're like, all right, I don't know. And man, we were getting pissed. Well, he was getting pissed. And usually, normally, I would get pissed in that situation, whether or not it was my hot dog. But because somebody else was getting pissed, I felt I did the yin-yang thing where I was the the, the calm one. Is I love that. That's why I love a friend who's just like emotionally all over the place because it makes me feel calmer because it reminds me of like, we're going to chill. Um, <clears throat> and we were waiting 15 minutes. And we're like, guys, where's the hot dog? It's just a hot dog. It's a wiener on a bun. This is hot dog. And then eventually the girl who rang us up was like, oh, you have to go to the back, the back of the kiosk for the hot food. And we're like, you couldn't have fucking told us that. And then we went to the back of the kiosk behind the counter was a shelf of all the hot food. The hot dog had been sitting there forever. And then I was like, can someone get the hot dog? And no one was hearing me. So I walked behind the counter because I was then I was starting to get impatient. And this other 15 year old, she could have been 14. She was like, excuse me, you're not supposed to be behind the counter. She had braces. And uh, and I was like, all right, can, can you get the hot dog? She's like, wait one second. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, you guys got to, one, relax, but two, be better at your job. There was no manager or supervisor. And if there was, he was also 15. Um, 
I don't know if the legal, I think the legal working age should be raised to 18. However, I get that, you know, I, I, I had a job. My first job was 15 years old. I was, I was very excited because I felt independent getting my own paycheck. And it was at CVS. I worked at CVS. Love me some CVS. They got so many good snacks and prescription pills and, you know, everything you need for your face and your shower. And, uh, that was really fun. But, um, I don't know that a bunch of 15-year-olds running any establishment, including a movie theater, which is like a lower-risk establishment, is not going to work. You need an adult there. You need an adult. And then you're not, like, what are you going to do? Get pissed at the kid? Yes, we did. And I showed it. I didn't hide it. But I was like, I mean, it's not your fault. You, you're fucking 15. You don't know what you're doing. So, you know, word to the wise, when you go to an AMC in New York City, you're not going to get the same sense of urgency that you would Anywhere else, you know, like at a Subway Sandwiches, they're really fucking efficient. Love that. Um, but yeah, not AMC. But I loved Killers of the Flower Moon. It's a Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, the synopsis, I'll read it here. Real love crosses paths with unspeakable betrayal as Molly Burkhart, a member of the Osage Nation, tries to save her community from a spree of murders fueled by oil and greed. You could tell this was a story that was near and dear to Martin Scorsese's heart. I think before the movie, he came on and did like a little two-camera interview. And he's like, thank you for coming to the movies. I uh, really appreciate it. It's time to like come together and hear stories. And we're like, okay, yeah, get to it. Um, but he said he's been working on this story for a long time. And it's been a story that's close to his heart. And it was very well told. And I was like, thank you, white guy, for portraying the white people as they were, which were greedy pieces of shit. My God. Oh, the greed. It was a it was a heartbreaking story. Um, really heartbreaking. And the woman who played Molly Burkhart, her name's Lily, Lily Gladstone. This woman, she's beautiful. Her face, she's like an ad for Botox, but I don't think she's ever had it. Like she just her face is so calm and stoic the whole movie. And she goes through a lot of really emotionally tumultuous experiences. And she just the the steadiness that she has during this movie is just fucking incredible. I loved staring at her face. I kind of fell in love with her. I was like, I want you to be my girlfriend and my mom. Uh-oh, that's not good. Got to go back to therapy. And first of all, did not know Leonardo DiCaprio could look not hot, but he fucking can. And it didn't seem like, a, I mean, he must have had prosthetics because he doesn't look like that on the red carpet. He definitely had something going on with his teeth that was in addition to, because he's so hot. He's got one of the hottest faces I've ever seen. So boyish, so boyishly charming. He was fantastic in this film. Obviously, he's just he's just a fucking movie star, and uh, and he was really good. But boy, he didn't look good. And I was like, damn, you look like a regular person. Like you look like you would date a dental assistant, but like above the age of forty. That's not the Leo I'm used to to looking at. Um, he had a fantastic, uh, fantastic role. So first of all, didn't know Leo DiCaprio could look not hot, but he absolutely can. Movie magic. Second of all, yeah, fuck white people. That, whew, people who are native to America, they had it right. I'm not, you can't group somebody and say, they were all good. I'm sure there was dickheads. Of course, there's any people, any group of people. But like, man, did they have it right with how you should respect and honor the land and animals and the weather and just earth. And just be respectful and kind. The kindness that emanated from all the Osage members uh, who were part of the film was just like, it was it was palpable. It was, and especially juxtaposition with these Southern white, this is my land now kind of attitude that you're like, oh, fuck white people, dude. They fucked a lot of shit up. They really did. Um, oh yeah, third of all, I'm in love with Lily Godstone, covered that. Fourth of all, Robert De Niro, not good at a Southern accent, so you need to know this going in. That motherfucker, every fourth word was a Southern accent, but then everything else was just Brooklyn. <laughs> so you have to mentally prepare yourself for that. I am a sucker for voice. If you have an accent of any kind, I'm just, it's like a trance for me. I love it. But if you, there's nothing better to me than like, hearing somebody with an accent is just so beautiful. Even if the accent itself is like not um, verbally appealing, I just find it very fascinating. I love people's voices. I can fall in love with somebody just off of their voice. But when somebody tries to do an accent and they do it bad, don't, I mean, that, it's, first of all, it takes me out of the movie. Second of all, how is there not a dialect coach on stage 
saying cut every five seconds because you got boo boo. Southern accent is not the hardest one. Okay. I felt like it was uh, Kate Winslet and Mayor of Easttown part two. That, that show took place in Philly. That's an HBO show. Very good. Uh, drama. It's not very funny. But, um, and Kate Winslet's one of my favorite actresses. But man, she could not do a Philly accent. Every, the only word she like pronounced correctly was phone. And she was just like, hey guys, so I want to, can you get over there and hand me my phone? And it's like that. It's like when you're talking to somebody and they're like, yeah, and then I was, blah, 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 and then the Latina. And then they just say Latina in the, with the accent, but it's the old, that's the only word. And it's just, I know that you're supposed to say it with an accent, I guess, but like, it's just weird when a, basically when a white person does it. Um, so yeah, just be prepared uh, to hear only a couple words out of Robert Junior's mouth uh, in the proper Southern accent, but he was great. Damn, that motherfucker can act. Whew. Heavy fucking hitters. Um, and it reminded me, because I was getting real mad at how, uh, how, just the injustice that people that were native to America have faced is is dis- dis- disgusting. Uh, and in honor of Thanksgiving, that's one of, one of the reasons why I wanted to recommend this movie, because I feel like we have been sold, at least if you're, you know, if you grew up in America and you're not a native person, because uh, native people have probably not been sold this, but they've been, you know, tried to, somebody's tried to sell to and you're like not on my watch bitch that's not my culture but uh you know we get these images of thanksgiving of the pilgrims and the natives kind of go breaking bread and having fun and i guess there's historical context to that and there are there were moments where they're like i guess we could all sit down to eat which that's nice but for the most part the white people they aren't that great like the movie Pocahontas, Disney's Pocahontas. I fucking loved that movie as a kid. I still love it in terms of like the place it has in my heart. But mm, I could totally see somebody who is native watching that going, this is some horseshit. This is a crock of shit. John Smith, not that great. But boy, was he hot. I was in love with John Smith and Cocoa. I think I said that on the show before. It was just what a what a fun threesome that would be in my head. John Smith and Cocoa. Oh, but it made me think about uh, near-death experience videos, which don't sleep on those guys. I watch them every day on YouTube. They're fascinating. People who have medically died for a period of time and they've come back to their body and they've gone to the other side and they've experienced um, kind of like a recalibration of who they are and what everything means. And when they come back and they do these interviews just talking about their near-death experience and how they died and what they learned... They share some information that I got to say, can't get anywhere else unless you're a psychic medium. And if you are a psychic medium and you're watching this, can you um, DM me at Christina Hutch on Instagram, K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A, if you have any tips and tricks on how I could become a psychic medium? Because I'm not letting go of that dream ever. Okay? Ever. Um, I really want to talk to ghosts. But uh, one of the things that I heard in a near-death experience video, and I later heard it kind of echoed a couple times, we're all... Life is like a play, like live, uh, being a human on earth is like being in a, in a, in a video game, in a play, in a movie. And we all have the one thing we do have control over is our choices, choice and attitude, choice and action, choice who we keep close to us, who we stay away from. And a lot of people who've died and come back say that when they're dead, dead in quotes, it, the, their experience felt more real than being a person on earth, which I thought was very intriguing. I was like, that's very interesting. You would, th- I would, I would have thought the opposite. Uh, but they said, you know, it's like a play. Like we come here and if you're an actor, Diana B. I'm an acting, so I am. Um, it's really fun to play a bad guy. It's really fun to play a character who's just an absolute piece of shit because you get to kind of one contend with that side of yourself or that side of humanity. Because if one person's capable of doing something, good or bad, we're all capable of it. Um, and so, but you get to play with like being a piece of shit. And it's just fun because there's no consequences because you're just telling a story. And so uh, this one guy said when he had died, I think he died from drowning. He was like, this is all a play. And we come here, before we get here, we decide what our role is going to be. And in a play or a movie or a TV show, there's got to be a bad guy. Because if there's not a bad guy, then the good guys, there's no plot. There's no story. There's no learning. So I imagine if you're a person here and you're like a huge piece of shit, that's a learning experience. And we all, one of the things that all the NDE videos talk about is 
the point in living is to gain experience, to learn how to love, to learn how to receive love, but also to like take these experiences back with you and kind of say, wow, I wouldn't have learned this lesson had I not been, you know, a huge piece of shit. And so it made me go, okay, then maybe these, like, it's just maybe really, it's so sad what uh, colonialism has done in all, every time it's ever happened. And you look at the people that it's affected and you're like, God damn it. You, and you had it fucking right. And then we came along. We're like, no, we're right. And then we fucked you up forever. Hopefully not forever. But there's just so much like, there's so many fucked up laws and stuff relating to people on Native American reserves where it's like there's, we get a lot of emails on guys we fucked from from people who, the, the alcoholism is out of control in a way that it, it doesn't wreak havoc on uh, other populations. Like it really is severe. And uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. But then a lot of these reservations will have their own laws. So America, like American court system doesn't step in, which you would think like, cool, like let them run their run their town the way they want to fucking run it because they were here first. Um, and I, you know, and, uh, but then it's like if somebody gets, you know, kidnapped or raped or something, the cops aren't going to help because they're like, what's your problem? That's so fucked. And it got, it got me, the movie really got me thinking about how fucked up um, white people have been to Native Americans. And, uh, and then I, I just couldn't sleep. And then I remembered in that one near-death experience video, I'm like, we, we're here some sometimes we choose to play the bad guy. Sometimes you choose to play the good guy. And uh, I don't know. That makes me able to handle things more and be able to deal with how fucking awful some people can be. And it sucks that the awful people, they're just louder than the good people a lot of times, you know. And man, Lily Gladstone's character, Molly, she's just, she wasn't as loud as Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And she was stoic and calm and remained calm in these situations where like anybody would just absolutely lose their shit. And you're like, man, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is the obnoxious one. And he's the one everyone's listening to. So anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. Killers of the Flower Moon, just be prepared for Robert De Niro's shitty accent. It's fine. once you, If you just know going in, I think it'll be better. Um, and it's not that bad, but I used to live in the South. So I'm like, that's not how you say those words. Come on now. And uh, yeah, just know that it's three and a half hours, but it's, I was engaged the whole time and I get bored as shit real easily. So I highly recommend it. Um, I want to give you guys a little, little life hack. As I come up with them, mostly stoned, I will share them with you. Like just silly, stupid shit that you could do to make your life, I don't know, just a little bit better, just a little bit comfortable. And when I say little, I mean just a little, little, little. It's, but sometimes that can really move the needle. You know, it'll set you up on a more positive trajectory if you're having a bad day. Um, but if you're like me, you love to clean your house twice a day. I clean all the time. Just dust. It just keeps happening. So I love cleaning. I love deep cleaning. It's where I do a lot of my thinking. And I recently realized that the chemicals that I use to clean, because I love Windex and I know there's all kinds of bad shit in it. Um, I won't stop using Windex. Sorry. I've tried the alternatives. They haven't worked for me. Um, you can feel free to DM me, you know, alternatives without the chemical shit. Um, but I might not get them cause they might not work as good. I fucking love Windex. I use it on everything. And so, but I was like, my hands were getting like dry and shaved from the chemicals. So I was like, Oh, I got to put gloves. So I bought disposable little rubber gloves. Like, you know, you get like a nurse puts on or like a guy before he inseminates a cow. Um, those are probably more diesel, but, uh, but if you, before you do that, when you go to clean your house, put those gloves on, but put hand cream on the gloves and then put them on and then clean your fucking house. Not only is your skin protected from these harsh ass chemicals that are probably giving us cancer and all kinds of mental shit, but after you're done cleaning, you have a clean house, your hands weren't abused by the chemicals and you're, they're so nice and moist afterwards. And the, the guys, it's getting colder out. I don't know if you noticed, unless you live in, you know, Arizona or Hawaii, uh, that it's nice to get a little moisturized hand. Feels good. So that's a little life hack. It's stupid. It's just a little tiny. Oh, that's nice. But we need a little tiny. Oh, that's nice moment. So we're not just chasing dopamine all day. Like you, girl. Uh, I saw a woman. We're all judgy, right? That's just a human thing. We're all going to like our brains immediately judge. Oh, that's so stupid. Uh, and I, one of my favorite things is when people surprise me. But I'm really trying to work on my... The judgments are going to happen. They're going to pop up in my head regardless. But I'm trying to work on not saying them out loud and like giving them, like fueling the fire. You know what I mean? But the other night I was playing soccer with Kevin 
in my neighborhood, there's a, I, I take him out late so that I like when no one else is around. And cause he loves soccer, but he gets distracted if there's like a lot of people around. And so at night I take a joint and I play soccer with him. That's, that's my little ritual. And we were playing soccer and I was with Colin and there was a woman walk, walking down the street and she had, uh, one, she had two leashes that she was pulling. One leash had a dog, like a big, fluffy, lovely dog. And the other leash, she was walking a calico cat. And I saw this and I was like, you fucking, what? She's walking a cat in my head. I'm like, she's walking a cat. Oh, you're walking your cat. I don't know if your cat, wa- your cat doesn't want to live in a house probably, but uh, walking it. Uh, and I got so judgy and I ran over to call and I'm like, I just need you to know that there's a woman that's, oh, she's going to be passing us and she's walking a fucking cat. I just have to tell you that. And he's like, oh God. And then I was looking at her walking her cat and I was like, Christina, fuck you. Let her walk her cat. Like, don't fucking judge her. I was judging her so hard in my head. You know, I'm like, first of all, you don't know the circumstances of her walking her cat. Fuck it. And also, you're, I'm such a proponent of living like a fanciful life, like having fun and everything you could possibly do. And what's more fanciful than walking a cat? I mean, that's pretty, I just feel like you should have like a giant fl- plume in your hat. You know what I mean? Like you should be walking down the street in a top hat and a cape with a feather and walking a cat, you know? And I'm like, I just stopped. I caught myself because I was judging her so hard, making fun of her in my head. And I was like, you don't know where she came from. You don't know what her life story is. You don't know that cat. Let her, she can walk her cat. And I was like, yeah, let her walk her cat, Christina. But I will say, I was looking at that cat, did not want to be walked. The cat did not, she, I don't think that cat enjoyed being outside. It was cold, number one. I know a cat has fur, but the cat looked like it was very cold. And then it was just in the bushes and there's a lot of rats in New York City and where I live because it's a borough in New York City. And uh, I'm like, I don't know if that cat, I mean, you got to keep that cat on a leash. You can't, you can't just raw dog walk that cat outside because you'll never see the cat again. There's so many rats. The cat's going to, the instincts are going to take over and you're never going to see your cat. So I did get why the leash was there. But uh, the cat didn't seem like he wanted to be walked. So sorry about that cat. But also, yeah, walk your cat, I guess. I'm still a little judgy about it, but that I'm working on it. I'm working on it. All right, guys. You know what it's time for? It's time for some motherfucking fuckboy theater. Okay. <laughs> beautiful piece of classical music oh okay wow i feel like terry gross on npr that was birthday cake by sir tobin gavalchi brought to you by the new york philharmonic all right now we're going to go into a more jarring way of talking i am going to read a very interesting conversation first of all if you have screenshots of your atrocious dating app conversations in the dating app in your texts, in your dms Send them to your girl at Christina Hutch. Again, that's K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A. This has been NPR's Fuckboy Theater. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read a conversation between a woman who's like perfect and great and a man named Adolf. His name is Adolf. Guys, maybe stop naming your kid that. Adolf? Come on. Uh, You can't. It's like, you know, when you meet and you're like, oh, I had a, 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 there was a cunt I went to elementary school with named Michelle and I can't uh that's I don't feel that way but like you know you can't like the name Michelle is just tainted for you how is Adolf not tainted for you is the name Adolf doesn't ring a bell of like maybe I shouldn't name my baby that but okay each their own uh okay so it's between a guy named Adolf and a woman um okay she says hey how did your weekend go he says hey sorry been fucked at work I do hope you had a good day and a good weekend. I just want to throw something out there. I have a fetish you might be able to help with. I so badly want to be strapped into a kid's seat in the back of a minivan while being jacked off and fed from a baby bottle. Maybe a little strange. Just maybe, Adolf. 
But that out, but was wondering if you wanted to be that woman. There is no way you're serious. LOL. <laughs> That's one of those times where you insert an LOL. We were like, I don't know what the fuck else to say. And then Adolf replies, I really am. There was just something so nurturing about you that I know you would give the most motherly hand jobs. Well, that's one way to get someone to never talk to you again. Okay, okay, okay. Your name's Adolf. Not starting off on a good foot. And then you say that? You suck, dude. Change your ways. Okay, and then I'll just read a, uh, three one-liners that this one woman sent me. Oh, my God. These are just random one-liners that she got. These are dating app conversations. This is a guy named John. This is the first thing he says after they matched. I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man that walked a thousand miles just to touch the booty. Okay, that was John. Now we're going to move on to Chase. Again, this is the first thing that he's saying to this woman. I might not go down in history, but I'd go down on you. Okay, she didn't respond to that one either. I wonder why. Uh, and this is from a dipshit named Ron. This one is a little less abrasive. Aspen, if you were a vegetable, you'd be a cucumber. Kissy face emoji, cry laugh face emoji. And scene. Thank you so much. Thank you. That has been Fuckboy Theater. You know what I really have to thank? The brave men and women on the other side of the fuckery, but also the fuckboys themselves. Thank you. Thank you for the content. Please change. You know, change who you are. Change a lot about you. Because I think that would be better for all of us. Uh, okay, so there's an article. There's a couple articles on how to handle Thanksgiving with your family. Because I know a lot of you probably aren't like me and you do talk to your family. And if you do talk to your family and you're like, oh, God, you're a little nervous going into it. Well, here's an article from lovetoknow.com. That's love to K-N-O-W, not N-O, but that'd be really funny. That's a funny website. Love to know, N-O, dot com. Uh, 10 survival tips for Thanksgiving family gatherings. Uh, this was posted uh, July 2021 of July. Great time to post a Thanksgiving ad uh, article. But hey, clickbait, it never goes away, you know? Uh, Thanksgiving is the time of year when you think of all the things in your life that you're thankful for. Really highbrow poetry. Often this list includes family, though you may not realize it when you're in the middle of an annual gathering of relatives from near and far. Fear not, brave holiday celebrant, for there are many ways to know how to survive Thanksgiving within your family. I mean, if you have to survive it, don't go. Don't go. Go, go stay home. Also, also, if you don't talk to your family, I'm going to give you a hot, another hot fucking life tip. Uh, and this one is more major than minor. Volunteer. Sign up to volunteer, especially if you live in a city or near a city. There are going to be people who live in that city that can't afford Thanksgiving dinner. And that fucking sucks because every this country is so rich, but there are people not eating because they can't afford to. And that's fucked up. Capitalism can suck my nuts. But, you know, uh, so so here's some tips. Here's some tips. Uh, take a pass on the cocktails. Ugh. This may seem counterintuitive since your primary urge is to knock back a few glasses of wine or dip into Uncle Harry's vintage scotch collection. Think of it this way, though. Once you hit the point of intoxication, you'll end up saying or doing something that will probably be embarrassing. For you or for them? I don't know. And that will become fodder for the next and all future family gatherings. Don't do this to yourself. Have a cocktail when you arrive to calm your nerves and a glass of wine with dinner, but limit yourself to two drinks. I will say two drinks, perfect amount. It's two. It's a good amount. <laughs> this is kind of corny. Prepare to deflect. You likely already know several of the topics that will be discussed during your family Thanksgiving event. Many of the questions will, that well-meaning relatives will ask you. Don't be, go in blind. Instead, arm yourself with a few prepared responses. For example... No, I'm not currently dating anyone. I just haven't found a man that measures up to my dad. That's a weird thing to say. I would say don't do that. My job? Well, actually, I... Oh, look. Like, you you look like you could use a refill on your drink. Let me get that for you. See, I also think that's also bad advice because you're just going to get your family wasted and so you don't have to talk about 
the fact that you're unemployed, just be unemployed. Um, <laughs> and there's one. No babies yet. Why don't you tell me about raising yours? Those are great stories, Aunt Eddie. Aunt Eddie. Uh, take a few snapshots. Tell your family that you're thankful for them. But if you're not, don't. Especially if you're narcissistic. They're going to fucking love that. They'll be like, got her. Oh, I got her wrapped around my little finger. And that you want to get some special Thanksgiving photos of all of them. Oh, they're saying take a picture, like a literal picture. Uh, yeah, but what if you don't like your family? Oh, put the game on. See, this is where I think football is awesome. I mean, it's, it is, it's a fun game. I like watching it, but like, what's more all American than Thanksgiving football game? If you're feeling a little tense or awkward at your family gathering, use your ninja moves to quietly and inconspicuously turn on the game. (laughs) Yeah, real ninja move. You got a black belt so you can just turn on the TV. This effectively divides the family into two groups, those who love football and those who don't. Join whichever group causes you less stress. That's actually a pretty good tip. I like that one. Uh, Another one, spend quality time with the kids. If there are children in attendance, you can give yourself a break from interacting with the adult members of your family by spending all the time with your younger set. That's another good tip. Kids are pretty cool. They're cooler than adults. Some kids are cunts. But I've I've had a few that I'm like, ah, you're a cunt. I don't like you. But it's rare. It's rare, I got to say. And also, up until the age of seven, most kids have psychic powers. So there's something to talk to them about. Be like, hey, little Billy, do you ever like see people like that other people don't see? I don't know. It could be fun. (laughs) Could be fun. Uh, Another tip, make yourself useful. Whether it's before or after a big Thanksgiving meal, there are plenty of jobs, large and small, that need to be done. (laughs) offering to help with these chores not only makes a good impression on your relatives although if they're pieces of shit who cares but it also keeps you busy and gives you something more to focus on other than aunt margie's weird new hairdo i mean if that's what you're focusing on that's not a bad deal of course many hosts will decline your offer for assistance so here's a refusal proof response nonetheless no no nonsense there's got to be something i can do and this way i could spend some extra time with you All right. Give them something to talk about. Start talking about how you love Hillary Clinton. Just kidding. I made that up. Most people enjoy talking about themselves and telling stories about their past. That's very true. No, but I, You don't got to be a narcissist to love to talk about yourself. I think we've all realized that. If you find yourself in a situation where you either don't want to talk about your life or you run out of safe subjects to discuss... Then ask a question that requires a story as a response. That's a great idea. It helps a great deal if your question has something to do with family history, since others can join in and add to the conversation. I'm just imagining cut to my Thanksgiving. Hey guys, remember when you I was a sperm donor baby and you never told me about it until I got a 23Me kit for Christmas and you watched me take it home and you still didn't tell me about it. And then I got all these DMs from my half siblings and you were like, oh, right. That's probably not a story you want to bring up. Tread lightly here and only ask questions that you're comfortable hearing the details about. Like, don't ask about your parents' sex life. I made that part up. All right, so yeah, it's just some fucking, there's some tips, you know? If they resonate with you, great. If they don't, throw it away. That's why I say on my Patreon. I say that on my Patreon. Uh, I do, oh, by the way, fucking sign up for that. It's really good. It's uh, uh, four times a month. I host group Zoom therapy. I call it therapy because it's not therapy because in order for it to be therapy, there got to be a therapist present. Am I one? No. Am I a student of life? Life? Absolutely. And I've read a lot of self-help books and I've done a lot of crying and soul searching. Um, and I'm pretty good at it. I think a lot of times uh, giving advice, especially when something someone's dealing with something heavy, you got to read the room. But fortunately, I'm very good at that uh, because of comedy. Uh, but if there's an in to make a joke, not a, at that person's expense, but at like their their situation's expense. It lightens the load, I got to say. And I've made a couple people laugh in these Zooms. Um, and that makes me really happy because it's very healing. Um, but yeah, you should sign up for that um, because it's really good. Patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson. I upload the audio. This I, I did a Zoom before I came over here to record. And uh, number one, Kevin just peed on my foot. And I was like, the fuck? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, sire. I'm not paying attention to you. Like, what the fuck? But I was like, I can't come out of you. It's got to be something on my end. I want. I gotta try to take. I'm trying to take personal responsibility, uh, especially with Kevin, because I love him more than life itself. 
And oh, when I first got him, because you know, I know it's uncomfortable to think about, but every dog dies, every person dies. And boy, when I first got Kevin, I was like, Kevin, I love you so fucking much. And you're never going to die. Well, actually, we're going to die at the exact same time. So we'll never live without each other. I had a real toxic, toxic bond with them from jump, baby. Um, how much time am I at, Michael? I'm going to read 35. Oh, shit, bitch. I'm grilling it. That's not bad. Try to go for 45, but let's uh, let's see. Um, yeah, but then the Kevin peed on my leg and then my internet cut out. And But then Zoom just shut down as if like the program faulted. I still got a recording of the audio. So we went for about 45 minutes, but I like to go for an hour, hour and 15. Um, so yeah, those two things happened. And I was like, what the fuck? Is Mercury in retrograde? And then I asked the internet and the internet's like, no. And I'm like, ugh. Well, then why? And the internet's like, maybe just handle life as it comes, you know? So I would like to read, just in honor uh, also of Thanksgiving, you know, I'm going to continue with this amazing book by Dr. Harriet Lerner called Why Won't You Apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts. Uh, I'm going to read some stuff from Chapter 7. The title is How and Whether to Accept the Olive Branch. Because sometimes you shouldn't. Sometimes it's a fucking trap, okay? Don't fall for the trap. And if you do, it's fine. Get back up. Once after a long flight, I made my way along with my husband and two small boys to rent a car. The rental process was on hold and there were no available seats. So I sat down with the boys on the floor to wait next to our luggage while Steve got in line to see what was up. I opened a small bag of nuts mixed with M&Ms and offered them to Matt and Ben. There was an adorable little girl, about five years old, sitting next to me on the floor with her mother. She looked longingly at the treats, and without thinking, I offered her some as well. She happily grabbed a handful and gobbed it down. About five minutes later, it occurred to me that I hadn't asked the girl's mother whether it was okay for me to offer the nuts and candy to her daughter. Yeah, because if that bitch was allergic to almonds. See you later, Stephanie. Next life. Uh, I initially put the thought out of my mind. Because the mother hadn't intervened and the incident quickly seemed like old news. But because the idea of apologizing kept coming back to me, I decided to say something even though I felt awkward doing so. And that, I love that. Because shit, shit's going to be awkward, especially if you're working on yourself. It's going to be awkward. You can't, you can't, that, that ha, it has to be, you know, it has to be awkward. But you know what's on the other side of that awkward rainbow? Comfortable. Okay. So you get your journey to comfortable. It includes awkward. I finally caught the mother's attention and said, I'm sorry that I gave your daughter candy without asking you. I wasn't thinking and I want to apologize. I was quite certain that she would say, oh, don't worry about it or no problem. Instead, she looked me in the eyes and said, thank you for the apology. I really appreciate it. There was a quiet, quiet dignity in the way this mother accepted my apology. And what she didn't say was equally, equally as important as her spoken words. She didn't excuse or disqualify my apology in order to make the situation a bit more comfortable in the moment. That's good. Because that takes a lot of inner strength, uh, especially if you don't like people being mad at you. She was mature enough to not have to protect me from my own feelings. I mean, Harriet, fuck me up with that shit. She was mature enough to not have to protect me from my own feelings. That's the shit, man. And as somebody who... Like in that situation, old me, not new me, but old me. If I was the mom with the kid and the, the kid, gave, someone gave my kid candy. I mean, I would like to think I don't have kids, but I would be like, oh, no, it's OK. It's OK. No, it's fine. But I have had instances where people have apologized and I'm like, hey, thank you. Thank you. And that's it. You don't got to say, no, it's OK. You know. She didn't get angry or otherwise intense. There was no edge in her voice, no hint of resentment. She didn't take the opportunity to instruct me, although she might have been tempted to. She didn't say, are you aware that my daughter could have been diabetic or allergic to nuts? Or, which would have been, I guess, kind of valid, but the way, the way this mom handled it was like a G. Or, did you just think about the fact that your boy's dirty hands were just on the floor and then in that bag? I didn't even think about that part. It was just... Thank you for the apology. I really appreciate it. It was clear, non-blaming, unambiguous acknowledgement that yes, she agreed that I had done something to apologize for. Because she held that the connection with her full presence, I have never forgotten this exchange or offered treats to another child without checking with a parent. 
I've also remembered this moment of someone accepting an apology with simplicity and grace. Oh, oh, love that for all of us. The next section is called, It Takes Courage to Say Thank You for the Apology. That's it. Thank you for the apology. That's it. I've said it. I've said it a bunch. It's like when somebody compliments you on something that you feel really good about instead of going, oh, you know, and deflecting. Don't fucking do that. Come on. Just go, thank you so much. Thank you. That's it. Say thanks. Thank you. As trivial as this incident may sound, a surprising number of people have difficulty saying, thank you for the apology. I appreciate it. Consider my friend who recently had a small party in which one guest, Frank, talked in endless detail about his recent trip to Italy, leaving little room for others to speak. Oh, we all know a Frank, huh? Sometimes we are Frank. Oops. The following morning, my friend called me and shared with great irritation how Frank had told story after story, hardly pausing to take a breath. That sounds like me. And failing to ask a single question of anyone else. To his credit, Frank called my friend later that day and apologized for being a conversation hog during the dinner. When I thought about it, I was a bit embarrassed, he said. I was going to send you an email, but I decided to call. Frank, that's a good man, Frank. Because after you've done something fucked up and it's like embarrassing to apologize about sometimes, well, me anyway, you're like, I'm just going to move on. (laughs) But fucking apologize. You know, it's helpful. Oh, no, my friend responded without missing a beat. There's no need to apologize. It was clear that you were very excited about the trip and we all loved hearing your stories. See, that's some shit I would fucking say. Not the new me and the old me would probably say that. Many of us dismiss apologies that the other person has gathered the courage to make for the same reason my friend did. We want to end an uncomfortable moment as quickly as possible, even if this means telling the person who is apologizing that it's nothing, no big deal, and he shouldn't even think about it. Damn, that's true. I hate it. Of course, he should and did think about it, or else he wouldn't be offering the apology. But see, this is where it gets fucked up, because if I was Frank, totally been there. If I'm talking about ghosts or aliens, I won't shut the fuck up. I'm or Beyonce. I'm too excited about those categories, and I, I'll do that. I'll I'll pull some shit, and then I'm like fuck. But then sometimes with the childhood trauma shit and the whole like you're afraid to speak and be heard, and I'm like, am I just being afraid to be heard? And I'm criticizing myself unnecessarily. And then you're like, how did I get here? I don't know if I was a piece of shit at that party or great. Fuck. Let's go smoke weed and masturbate. If the other person has pushed through his or her discomfort to do the right thing and apologize, we can push through our discomfort and say, thanks for the apology. It's important to resist the temptation to cancel the effort at repair that a genuine apology is. (sighs) Just finger me with your words, Harriet. How to teach your child to apologize. I don't want to read that section. I don't care. Uh, Sorry, I should have prepped that. Sorry. I mean, read the book if you want to read that section. I don't, I don't, I just don't give a shit. Um, oh, give the other person the benefit of the doubt. I like this one because we, a lot of us, assume, I know our brains, human brains, I guess have a negative bias, right? And a lot of us assume, right? It's one of Don, Don Miguel Ruiz's, one of his four agreements. Don't make assumptions. That's such a good agreement. It's very difficult, especially when your brain judgy and a fucking woman at night is walking with her cat. Don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions, Christina. Just let her walk her fucking cat. Let her walk her cat. Take that pussy on a stroll. Um, But just as much as you can easily assume that someone's intentions are bad, uh, you can also assume that their intentions are good. I know that sounds corny, but you can. So let's all shut the fuck up and maybe assume that people mean good. I think that would make our lives easier. Uh, Give the other person the benefit of the doubt. We can't always rank the other person's sincerity quotient when they tell us they're sorry. And it can be counterproductive to try to assess it. Anxiety or discomfort can make the apologizer sound robotic. Yeah, it can. (laughs) It hurts. Plus, it can take time to genuinely feel sorry when confronted with a complaint. That's true. (sighs) That's very true. The times that people have confronted me, looking back, I always appreciate it. Always appreciate it. I have to trust that it's coming from the right place, but it almost always is. It depends on who's, you know, telling you. If some dipshit on the internet's being like, you did this. I'm not fucking apologizing because fuck you. You don't know me. Um, But yeah, that's a good one. When I apologized at the airport for giving candy to the little girl, I wasn't feeling especially sorry, which was why I expected to hear, oh, it was nothing. My apology was sort of a half-hearted one. 
Only after the mother accepted my apology in the particular way that she did, did I actually begin to feel genuinely sorry to, and to consider how this mother might have felt. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Also, nobody's going to feel especially sorry if we're labeling them entitled or narcissistic. <sighs> That's fucking true. You can't, yeah, you can't get anywhere and be like, mom, you're narcissistic and I'm, you need to respect my boundaries. I'm not talking to you. They're not going to listen. They're going to shut down because no one, as I read earlier in this book a couple episodes ago, no one wants to be defined by their worst traits or their worst moments. And it's a survival instinct to deny it in a way. So when you consider that, you're like, okay, this is why all these rapists don't be admitting they're raping uh, or tossing any diagnosis or insult into the conversation. It's so tempting. It's so tempting to call someone a dipshit. Oh, it's so tempting. The only test of the sincerity of Aaron's apology. Oh, this is another one. Uh, the sincerity test of an apology is in the follow-up. And of course, oh, this is where they're talking about Robert. I didn't, I didn't read that. It's probably about the kid ship. Um, all right, now we're talking. Wait, let me read more. Sorry, I didn't. Oh, okay. Oh, right. <laughs> this is great. This is a great. This is the last little chunk I'll read because this is just relates to Thanksgiving. You know, it, especially if you got a tumultuous family. And you know what? Really, if you think about it, most families are toxic. I think the family is just toxic. Just and everybody, every family has their own little flavor of toxicity. But for the most part, like every family has some type of toxicity, something. Oh, and I saw a fucking meme on Instagram earlier today. Woo, these memes. I mean, Instagram puts a lot of trash into the world, but it also puts great memes that give you pieces of advice, or little nuggets that you can take with you forever. A lot of times the most toxic person in the family is never confronted. The most toxic person in a family is usually protected. And I'm like, yo, yeah, what the fuck is that? So we're all shaking in our boots because we don't want mommy to throw shit at us. That's probably why. Uh, not everything is forgivable. Ooh, I'm listening. Uh, accepting an apology doesn't always mean reconciliation. Mm, I'm going to read that again, motherfuckers. Accepting an apology doesn't always mean reconciliation. Got it? Got it, got it, got it. So you can accept the apology, but you don't got to talk to him again. The best apology in the world can't restore every connection. The words I'm sorry may be absurdly inadequate, even if sincerely felt. Uh, sometimes the foundation of trust on which a relationship was built cannot be repaired. And that's what it is, bitches. We may never want to see the other person who hurt us again. We can still accept the apology. Okay. All the king's horses and all the king's men. Joanne called me for a brief consultation regarding her ex-best friend, Marsha. They had been friends for seven years before Marsha took a job at the same firm where Joanne worked. This is a great example. It was here that Marsha betrayed Joanne's confidence using her word against her and sabotaged her chance at a promotion they both wanted. I'd be like, bitch, I was here first. Fuck you, you colonizer. Joanne ended up leaving the firm and their friendship ended for good. The two women hadn't seen or spoken to each other for about four years when Joanne received a long email from Marsha that contained a heartfelt apology in which she expressed regret and remorse for her earlier behavior. Honestly, better late than never. Marsha had done some soul searching. She told Joanne that she missed her terribly and wanted to renew the friendship. She asked Joanne to, uh, to email a few dates when they might meet for lunch and talk. She ended her email with, I hope you'll forgive me. How do I respond was the question that Joanne wanted my help with. She believed that Marsha's apology was sincere, but as she talked about the possibility of meeting for lunch, it was clear that every cell in her body rebelled against getting together. And booze, boys and girls and they's and thems, your if you can't, if your brain can't make a decision, your heart can't make a decision, your fucking body will let you know. That's why it's really important to exercise and be in touch with your body and in tune with it because man, if you're a sensitive little Pisces-ass bitch like me, if I don't want to do something, it feels like every cell in my body is burning on fire. Um, so just a tip. Joanne considered not responding at all, but ignoring Marsha's email violated Joanne's own sense of integrity. After considering her options, Joanne sent this email. Dear Marsha, thank you for your note of apology. I'm glad that you've given so much thought to what happened between us and how your behavior affected me. For me, there is too much water under the bridge to talk further or to try to continue the friendship. I wish you well, and I too have many good memories of our long history together. Best, Joanne. 
okay, that makes me kind of sad, but it's also good. I told Joanne I thought it was an exemplary email. It was short, always best, cordial and to the point. Joanne didn't say I forgive you because she didn't. She avoided rehashing Marsha's crime sheet or noting how Marsha's actions devastated her. Joanne didn't muddle in the clarity of her communication by saying, perhaps with more time, I'll feel differently. That's some shit I would pull because I'm such a people pleaser that I don't want to just put an end to it. That's why I just cut people off and then just never talk to them again. It's hard. It's hard to end things, which would have left open the possibility of resuming a friendship that Joanne didn't want. That's very important. Although Joanne was initially tempted to say, I can't accept your apology. That's what I would have fucking said. But bitch, oh, you coming out of the work now? Even though it is good that she apologized. She chose instead to thank Marsha for it. That's, that's, that's mature as shit, huh? That's why we got to have friends. We got to have older friends who are older than us. However old you are, make sure you have friends who are older than you. Because nine times out of ten, they're going to be pretty mature. It was a sign of Joanne's maturity that she wanted to keep her response congruent with her own values. And not just to react in kind to how badly Marsha had behaved. Thank you for the apology did not mean the relationship could be restored to what it was before or that Joanne was up for even one more exchange. Not everything we break can be fixed. Fucking fantastic. What that? 52 minutes? 51. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost psychic. I'm going to try and guess it every time. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the voices in our heads. Make sure you follow me on social media at Christina Hutch. Also, if you're in the New York City area, myself, Corinne Fisher, Mikey Big Don Coscarelli are doing live, Guys We Fucked Live at the Midnight Theater, Friday, December 1st at 9.30 p.m. Tickets are going fast. They're over halfway sold out. You can come in person, which I highly recommend because, boy, do we have some fun in store. (laughs) And you know, Corinne and I, are really good at fun shit. Um, and you can also stream. You could buy tickets to stream the show and you'll have up to 48 hours to watch it. You can watch live. Uh, and then there's a lot of interaction in these shows. A lot of fun interaction. A lot of it's us talking, but then there's a lot of interaction. It's really fun. It's a very special show. So come to that. Uh, ticket link for that can be found in my bio on Instagram at Christina Hutch, K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A. And also sign up for my Patreon, patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson. That link is also in my bio on Instagram because that's the only social media account I give a fuck about. All right. I love you and have have happy, happy Thanksgiving, guys.